0: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am interviewing Ashley Winstead about Fool Me Once. Ashley is an academic-turned-novelist with a PhD in Contemporary American Literature. She lives in Houston with her husband, two cats, and her beloved wine fridge. I hope you enjoy our conversation.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices I am fabulous. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm so glad you're here. It's so fun to talk to a fellow Houstonian. That just makes me so happy.
1: I know. I'm just so thrilled to be plugging into, well, to be able to meet you over audio and then be plugging into the Houston literary community.
0: I bet. And as we'll discuss a little bit in the future, you have many books, not just one. So I'm sure that is fun to be thinking about meeting other writers in the Houston community and the genres in which you write.
1: Yes, I can't wait.
0: Well, first, why don't you give me a quick summary of Fool Me Once for those that won't have read it yet.
1: Fool Me Once is my romance debut. It's a, an enemies to lovers second chance romance. It's set in Austin, Texas, and it's actually the first book that I've ever written set in Texas, um, which is kind of funny. But it follows Lee Stone. Who is a 29 years old? Um, she is a total communications badass, like a, a professional at comms uh, for a female-led electric vehicle company, and she is also an unrepentant party girl. So she's got this kind of like Jekyll and Hyde thing going on, where she's both at the same time. And her dream of dreams is to have the ability to campaign for a green energy bill in Texas of all places. She's just a huge environmentalist. This is something she's always wanted to do. And the book opens with her getting finally the opportunity. She's gotten the go ahead from the governor, actually, who's going to put his weight and capital behind the bill. The catch is the governor has just hired a policy director to be her campaign partner. And his name is Ben Latterman, and he's this big shot uh, lawyer returning back to Texas from California. And he also just so happens to be Lee's ex-boyfriend from five years ago. The one relationship that she just destroyed ended disastrously, and it was unequivocally her fault. And so now Lee and Ben have to work together on this amazing political project, her dream, Despite all of their animosity and very fraught history, they have to work together to kind of make history and see if, you know, anything, any sparks might catch as they kind of campaign around around the state. And shenanigans ensue.
0: I just thought it was such a fun read. I had the best time with it. And I was just curious how you came up with the subject matter, or is not really matter, because there's green energy, there's the female led electric car company. There's the Disney connection. There were just so many fun aspects. How did you put all that together?
1: Thank you so much. First of all, that means the world to me. So I've always known second chance romance, it's my favorite trope. I just devour romance novels. And that has always been my favorite. I've always just been very drawn to the idea of redemption and relationships never quite being done. And so I knew I wanted to write a really fraught, uh, tension-fueled romance. And I actually worked here in Houston before I became a full-time author. I worked at a national philanthropy with, with its office based here in Houston that worked on policy change, actually. So I was doing a lot of the similar work that Lee does in the book. Um, I was a communications director working on passing bills here in Texas, as well as, you know, in other states and at the federal level as well. And there were so many times, I kid you not, like the, the political antics in Fool Me Once. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're almost unbelievable, but I promise you, these are things that are like drawn from, Real life and actually pale in comparison to some of the the behind-the-scenes political maneuverings that I witnessed in my job. And so I always thought to myself, you know, I wanted, I wanted to center a character with like really strong political ambitions because that's just always been part of my personality and part of my girlfriends, like an important thing to my group of girlfriends. And I knew there was so much comedic potential in the world of politics. So those things kind of melded together. And then I'm a huge pop culture nerd. Like, I, I love Disney. I love, you know, there's Captain Planet. There's, you know, all the, the Disney princesses. I mean, there's so many references in Fool Me once. And that was just me, like, delighting myself, invoking all of these things, pop culture things that I love.
0: My kids love Disney. And we went to Disneyland for the first time in California last August. And they are now dying to get back to Disney World because we went a lot when they were young, but they're now in their twenties and upper teens. And so we hadn't been in a while. And so they're just driving me crazy to go back. (laughs) And I just had so much fun reading that opening chapter. I truly feel like that is one of the best opening chapters I have read in a long time. I sat down to start reading and I was literally cracking up. And I just loved the whole Disney princess thing and the Disney wedding and the castle and all of it. It was so much fun.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, I. I truly thought, like, okay, I have this character Lee who does not believe in love. And not not just like, oh, she's been burned before, so she's a little bit shy about it. No, she has she has like done a full 180, just strongly believes, does not believe in in true love, romantic love. So what better than to put her in, you know, the the epicenter of fairy tale romance, you know, to like put her in a disney princess costume and and have her racing through the disney park (laughs) with the kids chasing after her her.
0: (laughs) i just loved it all of that i just literally i'm like i think i'm gonna have to read that chapter again as we talk about it it was just so much fun and i think that's one of the things that i like so much about your book is all of the humor you know obviously the romance was great and i loved your characters but i also love that you wove in humor the entire way
1: Thank you so much. I described this book as a romantic comedy, very heavy on the the com, you know, part of the rom-com.
0: But I think that's great. I loved the green energy aspect, and I loved the idea of a woman running an electrically made
1: car company. Oh, yes. I mean, my husband is an engineer, so he works for NASA, which is part of why we're here in Houston. And, you know, seeing how few women engineers, uh, even in NASA, who within NASA, which tries really hard as an agency to hire women engineers and, and make sure that they are, you know, sustained in their work and supported, you know, there's, it's just uh science and tech remains a really, really hard industries for women to be in. And so my book, I just wanted to be filled with women who were doing really kick-ass things against all odds. And I've had this weird relationship, parasocial relationship, I guess you would say, with Elon Musk in which I, and you know, there's a lot of jokes in Fool Me Once comparing Elon Musk to Lee and her boss, Dakota Young's electric vehicle company, where they're better than Tesla and and existed before Tesla, but didn't get as much attention, of course, because they were female-led. And so part of that was just me doing, doing kind of making a, a teasing joke about the fact that Elon started out as someone that I really, really admired. And then he's just had such a rocky, <laughs> rocky experience in the news and someone needs to take social media away from him, but just wanted to kind of like play around with the idea of women shattering all kinds of glass ceilings, which they do in, in full Me Once.
0: I loved that. I just thought it was so wonderful and so aspirational and something we can all hope for. Thank you. Are you a native Texan?
1: No, I am not. So we grew up my family um I was I'm a navy kid. We we bounced around from coast to coast thanks to my dad's job every 2 years. And so I like to say I'm from a little bit of everywhere. But I have lived in Texas for 12 years now. It is by far the longest I've lived anywhere. So I've lived a little bit in Austin, in Dallas, and now here in Houston. So I think I should start saying that I'm a Texan.
0: I think you definitely should. That (laughs) makes you a Texan for sure. Yes. So you have written a thriller that came out last August, which I also loved, In My Dreams I Hold a Knife.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: And now you have Fool Me Once, and then you have another thriller coming out this summer. And then do you have a rom-com again following that thriller? I do indeed. Indeed. Okay, so let's talk about that. Two thrillers, two rom-coms, two publishing houses. Can you just tell me all about it?
1: Yes, so I have this is what I always I probably took a lot of people by surprise. Um when I followed up my debut thriller with the announcement that my next book was going to be a romance, a rom-com. But for me and and this is always how I dreamed my career would go because I've always really wanted to write across genres. The first book that got me agented actually was a contemporary YA fantasy.
0: Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How funny is that?
1: I mean, I feel like I, it almost feels like every book that I've written is a new genre, which has played out a little bit. That's, that has been true for like the first three books that I wrote. So I I just am, as a reader, I'm a voracious reader. I love to consume stories across all sorts of different genres and feel a very similar compulsion to write stories in different genres and write in different voices. And I still feel, even though I have a few books under my belt, that I am still figuring out my voice um, and still figuring out what it means to be an Ashley Winstead book and so there are certain themes that I gravitate to certain character types that I gravitate to and those actually remain through lines um whether the book's a thriller or a romance and so I'm actually kind of learning a lot about myself just through the exploration of these books that i'm that I'm writing but it was an incredible learning experience to go from writing a thriller to romance, I had to learn a lot about the different genre expectations within romance. And those are things that you kind of take for granted. I took for granted as a reader of both thrillers and romance, but then really kind of had to grapple with as a writer. So for example, the likability of characters is a thing that um,
0: (laughs) is much more important in the rom-com than it is in the thriller.
1: (laughs) Yes, there's there's so much leeway when you're a thriller writer to center unlikable characters. And in fact, it's almost an expectation of the genre.
0: I was just going to say that it is almost an expectation of the genre. Because in a thriller, you're not going to have this just happy-go-lucky super likable person doing all these things that, you know, people aren't going to like. So yes, it almost is the flip. Like you're really, you're at two ends of the spectrum with thriller and rom com.
1: That is exactly it. And as, as a writer, I've learned about myself that I naturally want to write unlikable characters. Like I, I am drawn to flawed, messy People who make mistakes and don't just make one or two, but like consistently make mistakes. And I won't go into, you know, maybe what that says about me, but just, just the fact that that's, that's who I'm drawn to writing. And that worked really well in my, in my thrillers that I've written. And I probably rather naively thought that it could work well <laughs> in, in romance as well. And so Lee Stone is, I'm just so, so loving the, the thoughts and reflections from early review, early reviews about Lee. And, you know, there was a moment in time where she's a, a messy, complicated woman who has made a lot of mistakes, who has self-destructive behavior patterns that throughout the course of the book, of the book, she's unlearning and kind of confronting. And so that to me was a really interesting thing to have in a romance. But there have been a few moments in this publishing journey with *Full Me Once where I've sat back and wondered if maybe I pushed it a little too far. You know, maybe I pushed the the envelope with Lee and made her a little bit too messy, a little bit too sharp. And so that's, I think, one of the things that I'm still learning and calibrating as a romance writer is how to pay like heed to the genre expectations and honor them for romance, but maybe challenge and subvert them a little. Um, So I'm basically all of that to say that that, that's been like a, a great learning experience for me between the two genres. And the other thing that I will say is just, I will put it out there that it is harder to write comedy and harder to write romantic comedy in particular in my opinion, than it is to write thrillers. And I think the reason is simply that there is just so much inherent hookiness and drama. I hear I am inventing words, but um, <laughs> all of that is just so so built into a lot of thriller premises that involve murder and a lot of really high stakes. Things are happening Whereas the the stakes of your typical romantic comedy, your romances, are naturally tend to be a little bit smaller. Now Lee and Ben are doing something fairly high stakes, you know, like running this statewide political campaign to make history. But still the heart of the story, like most romantic comedies, is about the relationship between two people. Really that's it. And the fact like the the requirements for a romantic comedy for a writer are that you imbue that smaller scope with just as much tension and interest. And, you know, I'm going to use my made up word hookiness as a, a book about a serial killer or, or you know, murder or, or what have you. And so that was another big challenge for me in, in making the switch between genres.
0: Well, first, I really liked Lee. So I don't think anybody should be complaining about her. I thought she was a great character. She was the perfect character for the rom-com that, you know, you wrote her into. I thought it was great. So, and I do think it's nice to kind of press the boundaries a little bit and to push, you know, push out because I think that just like any genre or any type of book, you know, you can only do the same thing so many times. So you want that uniqueness and the originality. That's what makes it a better story. Thank
1: you so much. I really appreciate that.
0: And then I think with respect to writing them, I think the thriller probably is easier because it's so much easier to write these characters that are going to be doing things that a lot of people probably wouldn't do in real life. And you don't have to worry quite so much about the believability of it, even though that seems backward. But I think in thrillers, you know, that's the whole idea. These people are doing these things that you're like, no, no, don't do that. You know,
1: that is so well put. I'm memorizing that the answer to use later. (laughs) Yes, that's perfectly put. Is that, You have so much more latitude with, with thriller writing. I think you do.
0: So that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it, but it makes perfect sense.
1: Well, what in terms of, and of
0: course, I don't mean this to put you in any kind of bind or answer questions about one house versus the other, but what is it like writing for two different publishing houses?
1: Oh, it is fascinating. Um, so, you know, I, and I adore both equally. It's been such a pleasure and in fact, you know, I, we talked to Sourcebooks, which is my thriller publisher, about my my kind of like I was like surprise I wrote a romance, which is also what I said to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, it was a lot of like, hey, I've done this thing. Um, Guess Oakland's what? Is okay. Yeah, exactly. And so they were like, oh, that's so lovely. And we're like, you know. <laughs> Um, and so we really had Sourcebook's blessing to kind of uh, go outside and look, uh, submit my romance to other publishers. So it's been a very happy and kind of like lovely, multiple relationship with different publishers. And so, of course, I was fortunate enough to land with Graydon House, you know, part of HarperCollins. And actually, my editor at Graydon House, Kat Klein, she used to work at Sourcebooks. And so there's just a lot of fun kind of connections there, like feels like one big family. And so, but it it has been very fun to just see how the two different publishing houses do things differently. And yeah, I feel really blessed to kind of have this unique experience between, between the two.
0: I do think that it is a unique experience for you because you're able to see how two different places do it learn different things from each of them, you know? And so as you're moving along, you're like, oh, okay, I learned this from source books. I learned this from Graden House. And I think that's great. And I think that experience of a house wanting to focus on a particular genre with an author seems to be very common. I mean, I I see when people are writing multiple genres, especially initially like you're doing, that it's very common for them to be publishing with different places.
1: Oh yeah, it made so much sense. And in fact, we were actually thinking there was a solid week where my agent and I assumed that I would be inventing like a new persona for my romance career, oh, right,
0: um, right. <laughs>
1: that I would have a new name and uh, like a new website, and all of that was uh, a little bit daunting to me. And so we went back and forth, and we actually got down to the granular level of coming up with pseudonyms, and which is a very uh, telling. Illuminating experience. <laughs> it's got to
0: be hilarious because there is such, there is such like I don't even know what you want to call it branding of names for whatever you're going to be writing.
1: Yes, that is the perfect way to describe it. And you learn a lot about yourself <laughs> when when people ask, you know, what is it that you want to be called when you get the opportunity to change your own name. And this is me telling on myself, but I'll say it anyway. I found myself gravitating toward like androgynous and slightly masculine names. And my agent commented on that, like, oh, all of these are androgynous names, you know, like Brett and blah, blah, blah. I I liked Brett Ashley for the Hemingway um, nod and because it incorporated my real first name. But uh, so I had a list of that, like Sloan, so blah, blah, blah. And my agent kind of pressed on that. And I wrote her back, And I said, well, because I feel like it has these names have kind of an edginess and a coolness to them. And I swear to you, as soon as I press send, I realized exactly what I was saying, which was like this very internalized misogyny in which I was, was like gravitating towards more masculine or androgynous names because I thought they were cooler and sharper. And why in the world can't, you know, a super feminine name be just as cool and sharp and edgy. So that was, that was, um, you know, a thing I learned about myself and then like retracted immediately with my agent. So a learning experience, but in the end we decided I would be Ashley Winstead just across all genres. So in the future, when you see like my middle grade and YA, this is me joking.
0: <laughs> and your sci-fi. Yeah, and my
1: sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, she does it all.
0: <laughs> I have to tell you, I am so happy that you stayed with Ashley Winstead because I find it, I don't know, it's a little baffling to me that people have to change their name if they're writing a different genre, but it's also confusing because then if I'm talking with you about one book and I'm calling you Ashley and then I have to talk with you about another book and you're suddenly Sloan or Brett, then, you know, it just becomes a much more confusing conversation. I just think it's wonderful that you're staying with Ashley. Everybody knows you're writing different books and who cares?
1: I could not agree with you more. And also, can you imagine how confused I would also get <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> trying to figure out, like, I'm sure I'd talk to my therapist, like, I am having an identity crisis. Who am I? Am I Sloan? Am I Ashley? I don't know. No, I would just mess that up so much. <sighs> I also do think that as more authors do what I'm doing, yes. you know, I'm thinking of like Jesse Satanto and right. other writers who are just writing across so many different genres and keeping their name and just saying, like, look, I write a lot of different things. You know, I think there is more, there's more room in the industry now for that. And those, those ideas that we used to have that, oh, no, you will trick your reader into buying a book in a genre and then disappoint them and yada, yada, you know, which was, I guess, some of the logic behind right. having synonyms you know, I just really don't think that exists anymore.
0: Well, and I think there are a couple of things. I think, one, we have the internet. So it is so much easier to look up what a book's about, to find out more information. So, you know, if I'm tricked about a book, it's because I didn't do my own research. You know, you can read about it on the cover, but you can also dive into it. But also I think that idea of a pseudonym long time ago was when, say, I wrote under Cindy Burnett and my books didn't do very well. And so then I'm going in a different direction. I'm trying a new genre. They want to rebrand me because they don't want my name associated with my earlier, not great success. And I think that some of it started that way as well. And if you're doing all of this at the same time, you know, then it shouldn't matter at all. And anyway, it was a silly idea, I think, to have everybody changing their names. But if they're going to, that's fine. But if you're writing in August, your thriller, and now this rom-com, and then a thriller again, I mean, it's going to be so confusing to be trying to toggle back and forth when it's all (laughs) happening in real time.
1: Oh, yes. And you're so right about that other reason. And I would like to formally reserve the right to adopt a pseudonym <laughs> if my career crashes
0: and burns in the future. I'll see a name, uh, author Sloan Ashley, and I'd be like, I know who that is.
1: <laughs> That's exactly right. Yep.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Well, I love titles and covers. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about your beautiful cover. I'm hoping those stars are a nod to Texas.
1: Yes, they are. Oh my gosh, the cover process was so much fun for "Full Me One," and I will confess that the original title that I am still slightly sad is not the the final title was "Stoner," um, oh. which is of, of course the nickname right for Lee Stone, and I loved. So the original title was "Stoner: A Love Story." <laughs> And I was very delighted by that. But um, for o- reasons that are probably pretty obvious to everyone, <laughs> Graydon House said, you know, we probably need to change yeah. the name of this rom-com. I don't think that's going to work so well yeah. for your rom-com. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people are definitely going to get different ideas about what this book is about. That's hilarious. Yes. And so we, we went through a very long and drawn out process of coming up with different titles, so i I've joked a lot about the fact that my in my dreams I hold a knife title process was long and drawn out this like doubled that it took us a very long time to settle on fool me once very happy with where we landed ultimately but yeah that was that was a bit of a struggle I won't lie to to find a new title, but the cover process so I had so much fun sending covers, like cover samples of other covers that I loved to the the cover designer and my team at Graydon House. And we had these really fun Zoom calls um, where we just pulled up images and threw them up on this on the screen and everyone was talking about how to both like we knew that we we went back and forth a lot between illustrated cover versus photographic cover. And I'm sure you don't want me to talk as much as I could talk about this. But within the romance world, as you know, the field, the cover signals so much, you know, as it does for all covers, but it's it's almost a little more fraught within the romance world. And since Fool Me Once is definitely a romance, but it's also got really strong women's fiction vibes to it, if I'm allowed to say the word vibes uh, to talk about genre. We didn't, we ultimately decided that we didn't want a picture of a couple or an illustration of a couple on the cover and that we wanted to kind of pair it back and keep it a little more abstract. And what we did is we went and looked at a lot of famous collage art, especially from Austin, because Austin has, you know, of course, those really famous collages all over the city that people take pictures with. So we pulled a lot of those images and sent them to our amazing cover designer and illustrator. And they came up with the beautiful cover, Fool Me Once, which takes those Texas stars and it takes the script, actually, that Fool Me Once script is something that they developed based on mural art in Austin. So I just love it. I think it's so cool.
0: I'm just not a fan of those illustrated covers at all. So I was very happy to see this. Like, it's a cute rom-com. It's a wonderful cover. It's not, This looks so cartoony to me, and I just really don't like it. So I was very happy to see this.
1: Yeah, it's such a fraught conversation. And that (laughs) feels like the the stakes are so high trying to figure out, you know, how to communicate to the world about what your book is about, because you know that everyone has very strong opinions (laughs) about it. You're like, don't want to make a misstep. But yeah, no, I'm i uh, thank you for saying that. I'm really happy with how the the cover turned out.
0: And I love that. I guess orange was that what you would call it? Because it's not peach because it's brighter, but whatever that background color is, it's beautiful.
1: Yes, thank you. I I told I, one of the things I said was that I loved bright, bright, brightly colored books. Of course, Dreams appropriately is is a black background book but I just love bright rom-coms. They make me happy. And in my head, uh, Fool Me Once is a very sunshiny book. And so I love that that's reflected in that really bright, kind of like punch you in the face orange of the cover. It's perfect.
0: So I think it turned out really well. and I love the second chances are for suckers. Thank you. (laughs) A little tagline there.
1: I actually came up with that. Yes. And I'm very proud of myself. That's like my best marketing, um, win of all time. That's really fun.
0: Well, and I don't know what this says about me, but literally this week I have said no to three different books because I look at the cover and I'm like, I just can't even post that cover. I can't even look at the cover (laughs) while I'm reading. So I have just been like, sorry. And I can't say that back to the publicist. So I'm just like, yeah, I'll pass on this one. So, but I just am like, oh, so I just sometimes wish that there was a little more, I don't know. I guess that will say it all, but I just am like, I can't read that book. I cannot even abide the cover.
1: Well, now I just, I know you can't say, but now I want to like DM you later to (laughs) find out what those covers are. You know, what's so fun though? Sourcebooks does this amazing thing where they actually test out, they do consumer testing on covers before the final cover selection. Oh, that's very cool. I wonder how I could get on their list to do that. Yes. And it's so they do it through social media. I truly hope I'm not sharing like trade secrets. I don't think I am. <laughs> um, if, 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 uh, if I am, I'm sure I'll be hearing from Sourcebooks as lawyer, but uh no, they, they, it's so cool because you, as the author, you know, you do, you go through the whole process that feels like your kind of normal cover process, but where you land is with a few different options that you really like. And then they take those and they go to Facebook. And I think, Instagram, a few other social media sites, and they have this curated list um, of people like tastemakers or people who are in their like early reads book club, book lists, and they just see what kind of engagement the different options get. And I just think that that is such a cool way to solicit feedback before you kind of finalize. Exactly to your point, in that you wish there was more of a feedback mechanism for, for covers.
0: Definitely. Oh, that's so fascinating. Okay, I'm going to have to see if I can get on their list.
1: Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I would love to hear what
0: you've read recently that you really liked.
1: Oh my gosh, this can going to have to put a time limit on me because there's <laughs> nothing that I love more than reading and recommending books. So I'll start with books that are out now. I am obsessed with A Brush With Love by Maisie Eddings. I don't know if you have heard of it, but it just came out last, I guess, I, last month in March. And it is this absolutely adorable, but also very steamy romance about two dental students. Um, and Ma- Maisie is just uh, like an incredible person, as well as a really talented author. And there's really beautiful representation uh, neurodivergence re- representation within the book, as well as anxiety and depression representation. So she just does it all very beautifully. I also absolutely—I'm a sucker for Pride and Prejudice retellings. Me too. Yes. Have you read A Certain Appeal by Vanessa King? No, I'm not even sure I've heard of it. Oh my goodness, Cindy! I cannot like cannot recommend this enough. So it's a modern day Pride and Prejudice. Set in a New York City burlesque club. Oh. <laughs> it's so good though. It's so good. Okay, good. I'm gonna have to look it up. Yes. Um, and then, so I'm very fortunate since I write in thrillers and, or write thrillers and romance that I get sent both kinds of books to read early. And so if I can just like shout out some upcoming reads that definitely people should keep an eye out for The talent, the debut talent in 2022 is just incredible. So books I've read recently that are just standouts to me are How to Fake It in Hollywood by Ava Wilder. And this is a fake dating trope, two actors, one former A-list, one kind of washed up, still rising star, whose publicist puts them together in a fake dating scheme to revive both of their careers. It is so beautiful. I cannot rave enough about this book. It's out in June. Check it out. As seen on TV by Meredith Shore, which is also out in June, is just absolutely phenomenal. And it takes the the like hallmark trope of a big city girl going to a small town to fall in love with, you know, a small town handyman kind of character and just flips it on its head. And it's so much fun. So that's as seen on TV.
0: And I love Meredith. She's so nice.
1: Oh my gosh. She, I adore her. Just another gem of a human on top of being like a writing talent. And then there's A Very Typical Family by Sierra Godfrey. And this is a family drama with a very endearingly eccentric main character who reminds me a lot of the main character in The Cactus. If you are familiar with that book, it was a Reese Witherspoon book club book. And so, essentially, it's a it's kind of a darkly funny family drama about a, a a woman. See, I'm laughing just describing the premise, but a woman who kind of accidentally got her siblings jailed <laughs> when she was a teenager, <laughs> and obviously things haven't gone well for them since. And now she's trying. Since to, then, right? <laughs> yeah, she's trying to reconcile. Okay, that's hilarious. Yes, it's so and the the humor is just that like, darkly funny, dry, witty humor that I love so much. It's so, so good. And so those are just some like absolutely standout debuts that are coming up this summer and fall.
0: Well, great. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for both the book recommendations and for chatting about Fool Me Once. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. I had a blast.